Hello, I'm Rob Beckett. And I'm Josh Whittacombe. Welcome to Parents in Hell, the show in which Josh and I discuss what it's really like to be a parent, which I would say can be a little tricky. So, to make ourselves, and hopefully you, feel better about the trials and tribulations of modern day parenting, each week we'll be chatting to a famous parent about how they're coping. Or hopefully how they're not coping. And we'll also be hearing from you, the listener, with your tips, advice, and of course, tales of parenting woe. Because let's be honest, there are plenty of times when none of us know what we're doing. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. It takes a lot of hard work to make it look easy. This Mother's Day, Duluth Trading Co. can help you give her something that keeps up. Whether you prefer to shop online or in-store, Duluth has a motherload of gear, goods, and gifts to keep her comfortable and capable, no matter what needs doing. With Duluth's problem-solving details and legendary durability to boot, you'll finally be mom's favorite again. Check out DuluthTrading.com for all your Mother's Day gifting needs. Hello, you're listening to Parents in Hell with... Can you say Rob Beckett? Rob Beckett. Can you say Josh Widdicombe? Just a musical. Good boy, well done. There we go. Nice one. Hello and welcome. This is Ezra from Leeds, 22 months, saying Rob and Josh's names after recording. He clapped himself and said, well done. I started listening last summer when I was digging out the back of the garden so we could fit in a large climbing frame. My wife started listening after hearing me laugh out loud. We now make sure we save up episodes if we're driving from Leeds to Kent to see my family. Rob, I'm from Tonbridge. Ooh, Tonbridge. I like Tonbridge. Is that different to Tonbridge Wells? Right. So, bone of contention. Royal Tonbridge Wells and then Tonbridge. So, Royal Tonbridge Wells thinks a little bit of itself. Yeah, I bet it does. And it looks down its little snooty nose at Tonbridge. Does it? Don't get me wrong, Royal Tonbridge Wells, um, it's fine. Nice place. Tonbridge, yeah. nice place. But Ton Tonbridge, don't mind being confused with Royal Tonbridge Wells. Royal Tonbridge Wells does not like people saying it's the oh. same place, Josh. It's a 20-minute oh. drive away, and they get very particular about it. They oh also dear. have one of the hardest gigs in the country. Oh, my God. Royal Tunbridge Wells, that old it's church. It's such a tough gig. Yeah, it's a very tough gig. Um, but, um, yeah, different places. Different yeah. places for different needs. Now, Josh, exciting news. We should tell the listeners this. Yes. Because we do have listeners. Yeah, well, a certain group of listeners who live in a certain place. Yes. Um, don't worry, it's a positive message. We're not banning you from listening. Yeah. The, um, we are doing Parenting Hell live in Dubai. 
We've added, it's an international yes. tour now, Josh. We've added one day abroad. It's an international tour, bloody hell, with like fucking the Rolling Stones that, or you too. Yeah, or, I do enjoy that when you, you see know. comedians that put in one Helsinki day and they go, am I in my world tour starting? You're like, it's not a yeah. world tour. Dublin. <laughs> my world tour begins. Well, Wales is a separate country, actually. So Cardiff counts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we are doing Dubai. So you can buy tickets for that somewhere, Josh, can't you? Uh, social media channels. Um, should I say those words confidently, Rob? Social media channels. Is that the kind of thing people say these I tell days? What, I'll, we'll put a link out on my. I'll put a link out on Instagram as well. And yeah. if you just find it, I think it's, is it the opera, Dubai Opera House? I'm not sure, but um, it is. Yeah. If you Google it, you'll yeah, find it. Be the highest culture they've ever had in that opera house, mate. Um, <laughs> Here we go. It was built for opera, but this is what you really bloody I want. It was the first show after the pandemic in that opera house, and I think that's what they wanted when Were they you? built it. But yeah, if you want to come, if you live in Dubai, but you were doing Carmen, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's one of our favourites, actually, Carmen. Yeah, so if you want to come and see us in Dubai, if you live in Dubai, you live in Abu Dhabi, travel over. Um, we're doing that in July, aren't we? Yeah, July the third. Yeah, that's probably it as well, isn't it? That'll probably be the last time we do the show. I think so, yeah. so, so if you live anywhere and you're like, I've got to see this show, that's your chance. Or the other thing is. If you're really desperate to see the show and you don't want to go to Dubai, we're in Birmingham tonight. <laughs> yeah, see you then. Right, let's get on with our guest. I'm very excited about this. Yeah. We have got the biggest name we've ever, ever had on the podcast. We have got Olympic gold medalist, two-time world heavyweight champion boxer, businessman, the man that brought you the George Foreman lean, mean, grilling machine. This man's lived a life, Josh, and I think... He has. Absolutely nothing to do with us being exhausted from the tour with nothing left in the no, tank. I think no. we should just get straight into just the Just get him on. Just get sometimes him on. you just get him on because people don't want to hear us blabbering on. Exactly. Shut the fuck up, lads. Get on George Foreman. This is Big George Foreman. Hello, George. Hello, George. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm happy to be with you. This week, we are joined by a megastar, the best, biggest guest we've ever had. It's George Foreman. Big George Foreman, two times heavyweight champion of the world, businessman, now in, now filmmaker. George, thank you so much for doing this. We're, we're, a bit, we're, we're really excited and a bit nervous, if we're totally honest. Uh, well, I'm happy to be with you and talk about the movie and life and children. <laughs> <laughs> and so what, how was it doing a movie where watching someone play you must be a really strange experience, right? Is it difficult not yeah. to go, oh, I was, that's not, that wasn't how it was. That wasn't how the scene was. No, the actor Chris Davis, he, he did so well. Sometimes I thought he, when it was over, I believed he was George Foreman. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good story about getting up, brushing off your pants, spitting in your palms and going another round. Well, George, your, your life has been, you know, I thought I knew about you from the boxing and stuff like that. But when I was sort of researching you, you've, you've lived about seven lives. So I'm gonna, if I've missed anything, let me know. But Olympic champion, then you went into boxing professionally and become world champion. Then you stopped, run a community youth club centre and became a preacher. And then when you needed more money for the youth club, you went back into boxing, became heavyweight champion again. In your forties, in your forties, and then, and then, obviously, the George Foreman Lean Mean Grilling Machine took off and became one of the, the most popular and successful things ever. Um, and then I've just found out he did the Masked Singer last year. <laughs> when, when does it stop, George? When does it stop? But it's been such a good journey. My life, 
I've had a lot of disappointments, been knocked down a few times, but most importantly, I've on faith and I was on my way. And and do you find that um with that with your faith that feels like the biggest turning point in your life in a way, right? When you almost died well you died and then you got faith from that, right? That's right. Dead and alive in a split second my whole life changed. For ten years I didn't make a fist. I didn't box. I walked away from it, trying to figure out what in the world has, has happened to me. And then along the way I started the youth center Start helping kids. I ran out of money. <laughs> <laughs> kids will do that to you. <laughs> and I'm happy boxing was there. It gave me a second chance to keep that youth center going, to keep me. And then I'm a grandfather as well. Ten kids I raised. I became better at homework, at their homework than they <laughs> Ten were. Ten kids. And 15, and 15 grandkids. 15 grandkids. And so are you doing any of the babysitting then with the grandkids? Uh, uh, it's a bit difficult for them to choose which one to bring over, right? <laughs> well, when you have so many grandkids, it's been a lovely thing to watch them grow, for someone to know you. And they, they only know me as uh, Grandpa George, but the movie made them find out different things, answer a lot of questions for, about my life. It was good for them. And your kids, you've got, so 10 kids you've got. And is it correct that all the boys are called George? Is that correct? Yeah, five sons, George Foreman, each one. Amazing. I told my wife, if I, if I forget one of my kids' names, a boy's name, I'm going to stop boxing. So <laughs> I, I took care of that. How does that work day to day when there's six Georges in the room? How are you talking to each other? Man, well, man, not only that, there are about two more Georges' grandkids. Oh, <laughs> that's not my fault there, though. They did it themselves. <laughs> But, you know, my wife, whatever tone of voice, when she said, George, for some reason, we all know who she's talking to. <laughs> How do the kids talk to each other? Are they got different names? Are they all George? Are they like George 2, George 3? Yeah, they call themselves George. One is, uh, the num as you mentioned, numbers. But uh, and some of them have nicknames. But for some reason, they're really happy about it. They have the same name. They love it. And Amazing. It, I think I've heard before that you, is it true that you gave them that name so you all had something together, like a bond, because you, you met your biological father later in life. And, and so was it important for you to have that bond early doors with your kids? Yeah, I didn't meet my biological father. I think I was a grown man, had been champion, lost the title, become a preacher. And then I met, and uh, well, and then I met my father for the first time. I wanted to make certain all my boys would have something in common, all of my children. And it's something no one could take away from them. And uh, why not give them a good name? And so when you when you were training for that, you know, for boxing in your first in your first stint, do you what do you have names for the first and second stint? Do you, is it the old George or the new George or is it is it just the first and second go at it? Yeah, well the, the movie was a tells my whole life the first and even the second time when I became heavyweight champion of the world again, twenty years later. Wow. Uh, and so uh, I went in the first time. All I had was crushing power and a lot of hate. And I stopped boxing for 10 years, found faith. I had to come back to boxing. But this time, there was never a punch in anger. Really? I learned a new sport, a new style. Was it more rewarding the second time then? Because you were in a better place mentally. You wasn't so angry. Did, would, would you enjoy it? Was you present more? The first time around, it was like... 
uh, I dream, we all dream of doing big things, but that dream became a nightmare because I was champion of the world, a wealthy young man, but I didn't find peace and happiness that I thought I would. It was a nightmare. But the second time around, I had all of that peace and happiness, a reason to fight, not just for fame and fortune. I found good reason, and I'm, it made me more happy than the first time. It really did. And what do you think is more difficult, winning the heavyweight world championship or looking after 10 kids? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, that journey of raising 10 kids, whew, you better be heavyweight champion of the world in reality. <laughs> you better know something because it was a challenge. Uh, raising each child was different. You got to make certain, I had to make certain that I didn't try to get them mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> Each child had their own life. Some would hide their homework. Well, they had homework. They'd hide it under the bed. Then the teacher was called me. I had to visit schools and PTA meetings. Oh, that was a job. Yeah. When you're going to the, what's the gap between the oldest and the youngest? My oldest child, of course, uh, probably 50 years old. And my youngest, about 23. I used to tease them. I said to the oldest one, uh, I said, they're going to call you aunt. <laughs> the oldest daughter, they're going to call you the aunt. They laughing. But you know what? The youngest became the most adult of them all. Wow. Um, you say like you're called in for PTA meetings and stuff. How much are people going, that's George Foreman? Surely the teacher's also going, I'm not going to take this guy on. He's the heavyweight world champion. Yeah. I'm not. And that was, you know, and the one thing about my children, most of them, they really knew me as just dad. They, I stopped boxing to raise my children. And they grew up, all of them grew up knowing me just as dad. When I came back to boxing, that was a strange episode for them because they saw me in another light. Yeah. Uh, but most of them had already seen me as just dead. That must have been weird. Yeah, because you did it the, the, the opposite way to most athletes where most athletes dedicate their life to their sport and they get to 40-odd when they make, or 38 and they retire and the kids have all grown up and left. But you took it the middle part out, which most people say that's a terrible decision, you're at your peak, and you managed to spend all that time with your kids and get the best of both worlds by going back to boxing did you know so that 10 years did you really appreciate that then and do you feel like you've got a much stronger bond with your kids now than you would have if you hadn't had that 10-year break i'm so happy i had a chance to enjoy my kids raise them and they know me as just dad we bonded and the 10 years that i was out of boxing i learned to take them to the beach uh going to the amusement parks Oh, man, I had a great time just raising kids. It was hard for me to get back into the boxing, into the boxing because of it. Didn't know how to leave them and go and get on the road again. How did they react to watching you get punched? Like, that must have been a really weird experience for them to watch you. Did they come to the fights? Yeah, it's strange. I saw them all at one of my boxing matches way back in Reno, Nevada. Yeah. And they were enjoying themselves prior to the match. But once they saw the fight, I remember them saying, I'm not going back again ever. <laughs> <laughs> they stayed out. Uh, they'd get be afraid. I fought for the title. I heard stories about them running in, running into the shower and, and trying to get away from it. They didn't want to hear it. 
but they were happy I became champion of the world, but they weren't ready to see me box, I can tell you that. Were they more fans of the grilling machine than the boxing? Oh, boy. George <laughs> has his grill. George has his grill. But George has two. <laughs> I'm going on and on and on. But they love the grill. Even to this day, becoming adults, they have their George Foreman grill. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. I mean, you could never have imagined how how big that would go. The, the, you know, we meant, They mentioned it in the film as well. But, like, it, you know, I think there'll be people that know you from the grill more than the boxing in certain places, you know, non-boxing fans. But did you ever imagine it would become as popular? I used the grill. It was my wife who used it because I, I started a joint venture. We're looking for a product. And uh, my wife had it and was using it, but I didn't particularly like it. But she convinced me, Joy, <laughs> this thing really worked because I love the burgers, of course. And you make the burgers, they were still juicy. The grease would go out, but it was still juicy. And I thought, boy, I'm going to have 16 of those things, one for my aunt, <laughs> one for my cousins, and then my wife. I had no idea that it would sell over 100 and. 20 million of those things were. Wow. It was a shock to me. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> um, what do, of all your kids, like, how different are they? Because we're like, we've got two kids each, and you can see the different personalities. Can you see yourself in all of them? Like, is it is it weird in that way? When they pop up, I do see myself in each of them. When they pop up, see one, you see the other. But it's not like you have any more than two kids. You, you have 10, but not like you have any more than just two kids because if one's missing your heart is broken you can't say this one's going to take the place of the other uh i can't the experience is you just love them all as one when you had your first grandkid what was that like now that was that was really scary having grandkids i was a grandpa and heavyweight champion of the world at the same time <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> Yeah, imagine, can you pick them up from school, George? No, I can't. I've got to, got to go and fight Evander Holyfield, actually, next week. Sorry. I'm telling you, and that, that's what an experience to be heavyweight champ of the world and waiting in line just like all the other parents, picking up grandkids, not just kids, but picking up grandkids. And so you're really hands-on parent then, because it would be easy, like, obviously, to go, oh, I'm just a, I'm focusing on boxing and stuff. But you love that hands-on experience of it. Yeah, and what an experience to be a dad, because you go through life trying to become rich and famous, coming out, but you find out the best things in life, I can't say are free, but the best thing in life doesn't cost a dime, just time with your children and grandkids. Yeah. That's the best. <laughs> 
And when you first, you know, burst onto the scene, like you said, you was very angry and aggressive and ambitious. Was that who you were or was it you playing a role to sort of like establish yourself? Because you're obviously way more relaxed and funny and charismatic where before you were just big, scary George and, and focused. Was, it, was that a character you were playing? You pick up bad habits as you go along. And the big habit I had, I was angry. When I decided I wanted to be heavyweight champ of the world, my best friend, well, my stable mate and friend was Sonny Liston, who had been champ of the world. And he was mean to everybody. And I thought, hmm, that's where you got to be. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I became more upset than him. I think he looked at me a few times to say, ease up, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you pick up a lot of anger. It's really easy to pick up anger and you want revenge on so many people. And uh, that's what made life really rough for me. And when you had your kids, did that change your outlook on things? Like, I can imagine you as a very caring father. I can't imagine you being like a stern kind of angry dad. Boy, I tell you, kids took a lot of hate away from me. To love some, for the first time in my life having kids, I found people that I, I loved and nothing could come between us. That changes everything. See them smile, make them laugh. The kids look at me as a big joker. Even my grandkids <laughs> to this day, they think, oh, he's joking again. And that's <laughs> the most lovely part of my life uh, is experiencing uh, my the children, raising children. Was that one of the reasons you did The Masked Singer last year? Was that because of, like, your kids and your grandkids? That's a really such a popular show with young people. Yeah, it was my wife. She'd been watching it for ages. They'd have, they'd been after me for over a year. Come on, do the show. But I wouldn't. But she convinced me, George, I want you to do it. She enjoyed it. So I, I did it. And uh, come to find out, hey, I can sing. So now the next thing is to do an album. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> Why not? If you don't buy that album. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you, so this sort of. So, when did you have your first child? Had you found your faith at this point, or did you have kids before you found your faith? When was your first child born? Yeah, I had my child uh, when I found uh, Jesus Christ. My first child had already become like four years old. Mm. So they don't even know me even to this day as anything but Daddy the preacher. Yeah. And do you think it's, it almost unlocked a sort of fearlessness inside you to go, you know, you had this faith now and you lost this anger and you sort of, it was almost, you was liberated from what you were before. And and I, and I think when you are liberated, you, you have a freedom to do anything and you wanted to be a preacher and then do the youth club. Do you feel that 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 is sort of more powerful than the strength and anger inside? It's a much more positive energy that you found. A great description. Liberated I was. All of a sudden, I had real, what you call courage. And it takes a mm. lot of courage to be kind and love people because you think, hey, what's going to happen to me if I love this person? I really found courage to love my fellow man. And that night in uh, Puerto Rico where I died in this vision, I was dead and alive again. I had a second chance to live, found out the greatest invention of all time, not the grill, but human beings. <laughs> that is the grill the second greatest? <laughs> yeah, you know, too, but human beings, man, I love them. I've not met anyone in my life to this day that I didn't care about and wanted to be kind to them. And that's what that experience did. Once you have a second chance to live, 
it changes everything. For people, because obviously that's a key part in the film is uh, that moment. But for people who aren't aware of that, talk us through that near-death experience. Yeah, I had been heavyweight champ of the world and on top of the world. Then I lost the title to Muhammad Ali. I became, oh, even more angry. And I wanted revenge. I wanted to become champ of the world again. But one night after a boxing match, when I was number one contender, uh, I found God in the dressing room that experienced I was dead and alive in a split second over my head, under my feet. There was nothing. Hopelessness. If someone tell you to swim in the sea and there's nowhere to go, that's the way it was. And then I said, I don't care if there is death. I still believe there's a God. When I said that, rescued from nothing. I saw blood on my forehead and on my hand. And I screamed, Jesus Christ is coming alive in me. Oh, they rushed wow. me to intensive care. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a hospital looking at that button go, bing, bing, bing. And I knew if it gone flat, that was the end of me. And yeah. uh, But that changed me. I, uh, like I said, for 10 years, I didn't box. I couldn't make reckoning. I couldn't understand that. I didn't believe religion existed. But I walked away from that that day uh, with religion. And then later on, I found faith in God. I couldn't change. The best thing that ever happened to me was finding God. And how quickly was that change then? Obviously, you had that moment where you saw something and then you was in the hospital. Was it like a, a light switch going on or did you, uh, over time, it sort of, you know, you, you, the way you were thinking about things, your outlook changed? Yeah, right in that hospital, I said, oh, I just got hit too hard. Or maybe something this, maybe that you try to talk your way out of it. But the smell of death, I've never forgotten. I couldn't talk myself out of that. I was mm -hmm. dead and given a second chance. The first thing you want to do is go home and tell your mom, hey, I love you. Because when I was dying, it was like the only thing that bothered me, I hadn't said goodbye to my mother who had put up with so much. <laughs> so I got a chance to go back home, spend time with my mother, embrace the life with children. And uh, that changed me instantly. Well, I guess in a matter of what, a week, I had to find a new George Foreman and learn to live with him. It disappointed a lot of people because they loved the champ yeah. at that time. But the champ was gone. I, that night I died literally, and that was the end of the old boxer. A new one was born. Took me 10 years to get to know him. <laughs> it's amazing that like this, it's such an incredible story. It's amazing it's taken this long to be made into a film because you read, you know, your life story and you go, well, this is more in, like incredible than any film in a way. Have you been considering this for years? How did it come about? Well, a lot of people talked about it and the opportunity would come and go. But once the people at uh, uh, a firm and Sony Pictures decided to do it, we got a script something I can live with. Because if you're a celebrity, like, well, some, some of us are, you hide your life. You go yeah, through life yeah. with big gates around your house so nobody can come in, tinted glass on your cars, dog glasses. You go through life hiding your life, go through times. Now it was time to reveal. I wrote a book and it was time to reveal. And it's not easy to go out and tell your story to the whole world they see you. 
things that you thought, hmm, I thought that was a secret. <laughs> That's not easy, I'm telling you. It's not something you go back and say, yay! You say, boy, did they see that? And they did. The movie revealed some things, even for me. When you put it in art, you can see it, not just read it, you can see it. Do you, do you think, are you, are you more proud of the movie or the grill? <laughs> <laughs> You're obsessed with the group. Let's see how the movie does first. <laughs> yeah. The movie is a wonderful experience, but that grill, I can jump up and have a burger, salmon, <laughs> grilled salmon. Oh, boy, I love that grill. <laughs> <laughs> the people from the movie company at the moment are going, say the movie, George, say the movie. <laughs> okay, okay, I forgot. The movie, the movie. <laughs> Um, George, I think we've done pretty well. We, no one, we didn't mention Muhammad Ali for 25 minutes and you mentioned him. <laughs> Obviously, he plays a big part in your life story and in the film. How do you think the second George Foreman would have dealt with Muhammad Ali rather than the angry first incarnation of George? How, how do you think that, that would have gone? Yeah, I fought the man and I tried to beat him up and everything. I tried. And of course, I lost the title. And when I lost the title, I was devastated. I, that's why I had so much... Uh, vengeance, hate in my heart. I wanted to be champ of the world again. But just at the, the time when I could have, I found God. And in the meantime, I became friends. Mohammed started calling me. We became friends, talked on the phone. And then the uh, iPhone, the advent of the iTelephone, where yeah. we can see one another as we spoke. <laughs> <laughs> I fell in love with Mohammed Ali. Amazing. Uh, one of the longest friends I've had friendship I'd ever had, and I miss him to this day. I love the guy. Oh, wow. wow. Did you ever talk about parenting in the boxing circuit? Like, because obviously Muhammad Ali's got kids, and it's such a macho world. Would you ever be like, oh, I'm having a bit of a nightmare, Muhammad, with my, my kid. She, you know, she wants to stay out late. I don't know what to do. Did you ever have conversations <laughs> like that? You know, strange with Muhammad, he always wanted to win. Didn't realize how competitive he, he was. We talk on the phone, George, how many grandkids you have? I say, <laughs> maybe three. Oh, I have five. <laughs> I always wanted to win. <laughs> and of course, both of us built uh, the chill. Our children were a greater part of our life than you could imagine. You grow up and you talk about what are you going to tell your kids? What are you going to teach them? The most important thing we both learned to teach our children is that we love them. No matter what someone does to yeah. them or say about them, they had us. Want to temporarily restore definition in your jawline where it's been lost over time? With Juvederm Velux XC, you can get a non-surgical jawline treatment that adds volume for a smooth contour and to reduce the appearance of jowls in one in-office treatment with little downtime. Juvederm Velux XC injectable gel is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D erm.com not for people with severe allergic reactions allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in juvederm common side effects include injection site redness swelling pain tenderness firmness lumps bumps bruising discoloration or itching there's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities blindness stroke temporary scabs or scarring talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you visit juvederm.com that's j u v e d e r m.com this episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. 
Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Because obviously you, you achieved so much in your life and your stuff. How did you deal with parenting kids there? Are you going, you can do all these things? Are you going, follow your own path? How do you deal with those kind of things with your kids? Well, we built a big home with a lot of rooms, but I, I never displayed any of the world title belts and championships and trophies. I wanted them to know it was about them going out, doing those things for themselves, not to try to compare themselves with their achievement with mine. And that was easy. My children learned to be themselves and not to be uh, the child of George Foreman, but themselves. They were George Foreman. And I never did want them to say, oh, George Foreman's your dad. I wanted people to meet my children and say, and ask them their name. And they've done that. They've become great people with their own identity. Yeah. Yeah. But they are called George as well, George, which is a slight problem. <laughs> yeah, all of them. They're called George, but... Uh, <laughs> but they're their own people. <laughs> but you know what? They're their own person. Because George, my son George, he's proud of what he's accomplished. And you know, George, he's never uh, offended by what George has accomplished. But that other George, I'm telling you, We've had some problems with. <laughs> but then George straightens him out too. <laughs> so did did the older kids start looking after the younger kids after a while then, like and helping out with, with all the all the jobs? Yeah, when you when you have so many kids, you can't make it without one looking after the other. Uh they have their own thing together, the children. They yeah. are even now they have these chat lines where the uh with sibling chats. They still talk with one another. They have a life beyond George Foreman, the dad. They have their own lives, and I'm really happy about that. And what were holidays like when you've got 10 kids? Where, where would you go? Would you stay at home? How did that work? Well, you don't want to go out there and promote Christmas. Can you imagine buying <laughs> 10 uh, gifts for all of your children and then 15 for your grandkids? <laughs> so what, I, what is best to do... When those holidays come is disappear until it's all over. So, how does it work with um? You say they've got like a big like group or like a WhatsApp group or whatever. Like, so do you have big family events? Is there like on your birthday or something? Is it just everyone comes to you and it's like kids everywhere? George is all George is as far as the eye can see. <laughs> yeah, their birthdays are more important to me than anything. When one uh, one of my kids have birthdays, we all try to be a part of it. My birthday is really special. They all try to decide what they're going to do for me. One year in particular, I told them, they were, what are we going to do for you? I said, I'd like to have just a birthday with nothing but my grandkids. And that was presented to me. None of the kids, just grandkids. <laughs> that was probably the most wonderful birthday I ever had. 
Oh, amazing. Oh, amazing. Being a grandparent, is that almost more rewarding than being a parent? Because obviously, as a parent, you're, you know, you're having to discipline you, all those kind of things. As a grandparent, you can literally just be fun Grandpa George. That's it. Being a grandfather is so rewarding. All you have to do is be nice. And they like you. I don't have to go out there and tell them, don't do this. Sit up straight. Be a bit. Uh, uh, uh. With the grandkids, all you do is just love them. And I think that's more rewarding to me. Or with the, being a grandpa is no doubt the, one of the best things that ever happened to me. So when you when you have all the grandkids over and you like you said that was your favorite birthday what what do you do what do you do are they just watching telly or playing in the garden or do you organize activities for them what's what's your dream day with the grandkids just sitting around in my big living room and watching them they come by <laughs> take a picture or two they tell jokes they ask me something I tell another joke it's a joke telling time but the most important thing is just sitting there watching them and for some reason, they're entertained with it, too. I think they think, like I said earlier, they think I'm some big joker. So I love it. <laughs> you had a sitcom as well. So you are a big joke. Like, there was a George <laughs> sitcom. Like, I mean, obviously, you've done everything in your life. Have they watched any of that? Do they go, um, do they go back and watch your old fights and stuff? Yeah, some of the kids go back and they watch some of the old boxing matches because they didn't, especially the grandkids, they didn't even know I was an athlete. <laughs> then each one of them get to a certain age where they turn on and say, that's George Foreman. And most of them even call me George Foreman, <laughs> not, even knowing, not even knowing that I was a boxer. And when they see me on television, there's George doing commercials, They've enjoyed it and come back and uh, explain them, ask me questions about my life. The grandkids growing up knowing their grandpa and asking questions is a wonderful thing. And do you, um, obviously, you've, you know, you're a much happier George Foreman than the angry guy that, that burst onto the scene. Couldn't you still turn that on if you wanted to? I know you don't like to, but, you know, if, you know when your daughter started dating and the new boyfriend wasn't be very nice, have you still <laughs> got it in your locker just to sort of turn up the, uh, the scariness? Well, I tell everybody, I went back to boxing the second time, and uh, my thing was never a punch in anger. I never was angry. I never wanted to hurt anybody. I had to become champ of the world, but there was no anger, no hate at all. Now, when your kids, especially your daughter, start dating, I mean, you start putting this frown on your face like, <laughs> you know, for the guys that know to bring those girls back home. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> but other than that, I've had a lot of fun with it. If you had that more, you know, never throwing a punch in anger at the start of your career, do you think you would have beaten Muhammad Ali and carried on beating other people? You know, do, do you think you would have changed how you was as a younger fighter? It would have been an asset. All of that anger didn't serve me well. I remember even especially with Muhammad Ali, I was just trying to knock him out, knock him out, beat him, mm -hmm. knock him out of the ring. I didn't even care about strategy. Uh, for some reason, I wanted to get it over as quick as I could. Second time around, I really learned boxing as a skill. Mm -hmm. Anger was gone. I had to learn skill. I became better at it. If I had done that in the beginning, I never would have stopped boxing. Ten years out, I would have had ten years to become a better boxer. I mean, you you're so, must be so driven to do that twice. Do you see that in your, like, that's such a mindset? And obviously you came from a very different background to 
what your kids are coming from because they're coming from you know the life of the world heavyweight champion and grill grill king um <laughs> is it difficult to keep them grounded in that sense in the same way you were when you were coming up it's not easy one morning one of my boys my first son as a matter of fact i heard him arguing with my wife and uh she had some jeans they were clean but it seemed to be they were looked faded and i heard him say i don't want to look poor I heard him and I took him back to my neighborhood. I showed him the places where I tried to escape from police, where I live. He looked at me as like, I don't think you're my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and so, cause they had had such a good upbringing, everything they ever wanted, they had. And so that's why the movie, it made me happy because they get a chance to see the real life of George Foreman and make them understand and appreciate their lives even more so than they did. And have they seen the movie? Yeah, the kid, they've gone to screenings of the movie and watched it one after another, and they come back and tell me, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> A lot of things were cut out of the movie about my life, and I tell them, I wish they had been cut out of my own life, too. <laughs> so let them go. Yeah. Um, you, you've had things in your life that haven't gone well for you and then you've come back like you know near-death experience and that loss to Muhammad Ali was you know worldwide number one news at the time and you were the new young thing what advice would you give to people where the thing they wanted most hasn't gone for them and it feels like it's the end there's no other options of what to do what advice would you give to someone because you are the person that has come back and lived different lives. You haven't just done one thing. You've been liberated and tried that. What advice would you give to that person that's down at the moment thinking, oh, it's not gone my way? Yeah, what a wonderful chance to have a second chance at life. The most important thing, I wanted fame and wealth, and I hadn't embraced all those things. And then I had a chance to lose them. And then that's when I found out the world was a better place People would walk up to me and give me a boost on the car, and I'd try to pay them. They said, get out of here, biggin. They didn't even know me as George for me. Yeah. I, found, I found out that it was a better world even without all of that fame and fortune. And I appreciated life and friendship, forgiving. All of those things made for a better person. I learned to forgive. And once you forgive, you find out you got so many phone numbers that you can call and recall again <laughs> that you that I had lost. And I tell people, it doesn't matter how far you fall, all you got to do is brush off your, your pants, spit in your palms, and go another round with life because there's some great things around the corner for us if we just look for them. And boy, life has gotten better and better. And I tell people too, even now, putting my both feet on the floor every morning and think, mm, what's next? I got potential, you know. <laughs> I feel that potential. Uh, uh, there's, a chance, there's a chance that I can do all things again. I'm always anxious to find different business. I don't want to be a boxer anymore. I don't want anybody <laughs> hitting on me. But the point of it is, I still believe there's a future for me. I still believe. Wow. Different a different grill. <laughs> Maybe the fat increasing machine, because now it's all about carbs are the bad thing, aren't they? Give me ideas, I'll do it. Uh, George, it's been such so inspiring talking to you, and I think yeah. you're a great example of when what you could perceive as a worst thing to happen to you, which would have been, you know, the rumble in the jungle, losing that fight, was it feels like 
that was the best thing that happened to you because it was the making of you. And then you had that night in Puerto Rico and it, and it changed everything. And that forgiveness and liberation has led to all these amazing things that you never could have imagined that that first George Foreman would have gone on to achieve. It's, it's, it's quite remarkable. Wow. Forgiveness is that subtle thread that binds both love and friendship. If you learn to forgive, if you without it, you could even uh, lose children. You can be without a mother or father just because you don't forgive. I learned, and boy, I got 15 grandkids, 10 <laughs> kids. Oh, I got it all now. And you've got hopefully a number one film, uh, George. This has been absolutely amazing. We've got one last question we always like to ask, um, which is if your um, partner, your wife was listening to this um, or your partner, what's one thing that your partner does parenting wise that frustrated you over the years with the 10 kids? And what was the one thing she did that was like, oh, she's so amazing. I'm so lucky to have children with her. Oh, one thing, boy, that got me is my wife made out only the children behave, she started making me behave. <laughs> Pick up those pants. You can't wear that shirt out there. <laughs> and uh, and that was the most rough part of being married. But as life go on and you see your kids take on those little life lessons she's taught us, I'm glad that she was able to be the disciplinary person she was. I'm happy about that. It makes me love her more. Oh, she oh. disciplined us all. George, it's been a joy to speak to you. The film Big George Foreman, uh, which is full of the, you know, the positivity that has welled through this interview, is out April 28th in cinemas. Yeah. It's an amazing film, George. We're really proud. It's it's incredible. And you're an absolute inspiration. Th thanks for letting us chat thanks to you. Thanks so much for letting us chat to you. And thanks for having me, guys. I love that, Josh. Yeah. Can we just say, for people who can't see it, Pathetically, I'm wearing my wildcard boxing hoodie, and Rob's got put a pair of boxing gloves now, behind They're him. always there, to be they're honest. They're not always there. They Rob. are always they, there. They are not always they there. Are. I've got a new camera because that's why. It, so it normally cuts Let's off. Let's go there. back and check the footage. Let's go check back the footage. V A R V A R V A R M. Now, what I wanted to say though, because I'm not religious at all, but I I totally do agree with that forgiveness thing and being liberated because yep. I don't think you have to be religious to sort of believe in that but um, and I think he's a great example of that because if anyone yep. was driven by anger and resentment more it was George Foreman one but then afterwards he's become the most charismatic man I've ever met oh no sorry second behind Ali McCoyst <laughs> who's also got five kids five boys <laughs> what's it going what's going on there and my dad's got five boys what a three yeah there you go George Foreman, watch the film. Big George Foreman out April 28, as they say in America. Yes. Speak to you later. See you on Tuesday. Bye. I'm Ivo Graham. And I'm Alex Keeley. We're stand-up comedians who love music. And we'd like to tell you about our new podcast, Gig Pigs. Alex and I have been watching live music together for years, so we've decided to compromise this hobby, and potentially our friendship, by turning it into a project. Every episode, we'll be going to a gig, and then discussing it afterwards with the friends who came along to Third Wheel Us. Asking questions like, did you enjoy the gig? Did you check the setlist in advance? Did you appreciate the artist's mid-song banter? Did this gig profoundly change your relationship with live music? Was the cloakroom queue prohibitively long? We've been to Franz Ferdinand with Rose Matafeo and Emma City, 
Kendrick Lamar with Phil Wang, and The Cure with Cellular AB. And next month, we're going with Ed Gamble to watch Napalm Death. Episodes are out from this Thursday and every Thursday thereafter until attending live music once a week with a different guest becomes logistically impossible. We have no idea how soon that could be, so join us now by going to your preferred podcast platform and searching Gig Pigs. If you like Josh Widdicombe, you're in luck. That's because the co-host of Parenting Hell and The Last Leg Maestro is the guest on the first episode of the Always Be Comedy podcast. Out now and with me, your host and MC at Always Be Comedy, James Gill. Each week, the cream of comedy curates their fantasy comedy gig. Who'd open? Who'd close? What gig nightmare do they never want to relive? All this and much, much more. It's essentially comedy gossip and chat. You know, I remember this the other day, my first ever gig. Oh, it was like a Friday night open mic night. And they said, we'll just announce you on when you're on. We haven't got a running order. It's a bit free form. I got to the end of the night and then they wrapped it up and they'd forgotten no. to put me on. Oh, and I'd no, sat there the no. whole night. We've also got Stuart Lee, Harry Hill, Jen Brister, Ben Bailey-Smith, Maisie Adam, Al Murray, Rachel Paris, and many, many more coming up. That's the Always Be Comedy podcast, out now with new episodes every Tuesday. If you are not in the queue and you are waiting, then step to the side. He got in touch and said, yeah, sorry, mate, you didn't seem like yourself the other day. You've only met me three times. The self-service checkout. I don't care what you're called. I'm not getting tricked into working here. People at festivals in those stupid jester hats. I glanced at a tampon. £2.69 <laughs> for a bottle of water. Why is your Wi-Fi Social code ten characters long? starts guiding you. I don't care Boot if you're watching. Boot cut jeans. What's upset you now? I'm Sean Walsh. And I'm Paul McCaffrey. We are the hosts of What's Upset You Now? The UK's angriest podcast. And we are back for Series 5. Booyah! We all love a good moan, don't we? And Sean and I, well, Sean mostly, are two of the best in the absolute business. And every Tuesday and Thursday, we moan about all those little things that really get our goat. We also have guests. What guests have we had, Sean? We have had Romish Ranganathan, Rob Beckett, Mark Lamar, Joe Brand, Catherine Ryan, Tom Allen. 15-minute episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Brand new What's Upset You Now, Series 5, out now. Oh, for God's sake.